Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Change. And so we're looking at Luke chapter number two and verse number 36. And let's read together here. And there was Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. All right, so let's set the context just briefly and then we'll pray. Just remember, right before this, Simeon, a mo- uh, Uh, Joseph and Mary had come into the temple. They brought Jesus, the baby Jesus, to present him before the Lord, to offer some offerings there. And so they're there in the temple, and Simeon sees us being led of the Spirit. He comes and like, ah, this is the Isaiah promise. This is the hope Isaiah promised. And so uh, he gave thanks to him, took him up in his arms, and said, now, Lord, you can let thy servant depart in peace, because mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And so right after that, evidently Anna is looking on and she sees this happening and in an instant she shows up there and she gives thanks to the Lord as well. We're going to learn a lot about this lady Anna today from these three verses that are given to us in scripture. We're going to learn some wonderful lessons that will be a help to us and those that you'll meet this week. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, we give you praise today. We give you thanks today for you coming as our Redeemer, our Messiah, our Emmanuel, being God with us. And I pray that you'd settle our hearts before you this morning, that we would look to you, that our hope would be in you and not in one another, not in other things, not in a someone or something, but our hope will be established firmly rooted in you. And we all thank you for what you do in our hearts today. We ask that every single person in this room and those watching would know you by faith, would know without a doubt that they're saved, that they've been born again, and that heaven is their home. And I pray that for every person. Lord, help us today as we look into your word. Teach us, be with the children as they learn. Lord, I pray that you'd encourage and edify us all with your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people say, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. So last week, as we started this series, Jesus is Hope, we went to 1 Timothy and the words of the Apostle Paul as he spoke to his son in the faith, Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 1, he says this, Paul, an apostle or a sent one, one that had uh, uh, visibly seen the resurrected Lord, an apostle of Jesus Christ the, uh, by the commandment of God our Savior and Jesus Christ, and he says this, which is our hope? He did not say that Jesus is, Uh, Jesus brings hope. He did not say, I find my hope in him. He literally says and qualifies Jesus Christ or explains Jesus Christ as being hope, which is our 
hope. And so the title of our Christmas series is Jesus is Hope. And indeed, he is. Jesus is hope for you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're feeling in your heart this morning, Jesus absolutely is hope. He is our confident expectation. We cannot have true confident expectation or true hope in something that is changing. It means that we cannot put our hope in people. We cannot put our hope in jobs. We cannot put our hope in politics or government. We cannot put our hope in an economy. We cannot put our hope in our bank account, but we can indeed put our hope in Jesus Christ. He is hope. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. And so let's continue to navigate this together. Jesus is our hope. Now, there's many intriguing characters throughout the Christmas story. And it's not just a story like a fairy tale. It's a narrative, right? So we believe that. And there's many very intriguing characters. And most of them were not popular. Most of them were not the, you know, the, uh, on the who's who's list in Jerusalem. Many of them were very unpopular, kind of set aside by the general culture, and even some of them had experienced great personal hurt. They had struggled in their own lives, and yet Jesus came to them. I want you to think about the, I, I want you to think about the shepherds. They were kind of the, hey, no one hangs out with shepherds. They were kind of the, they had the dirty job. It was like uh, the janitor in, in the high school. It's like uh, no one, no, uh, none of the, uh, none of the, uh, None of the teens are, are hanging out there. We want to be just like, uh, like them. And thank, uh, thank the Lord for janitors, right? Don't, don't you agree with me? Uh, they, uh, they serve a very important purpose and, uh, and, and do a wonderful, a wonderful thing. And I just, as this comes to mind, I didn't mean to get off on this, but I thank the Lord for everyone that cleans, uh, cleans here at the church. Aren't you thankful for those that clean, clean bathrooms and so on? It's important, isn't it? But these shepherds were the folks that no one wanted to really be around. They were just kind of, uh, they had their thing. Now, particularly, they were temple shepherds. They, they watched over the sheep that would be used for sacrifices. And uh, yet, on that night of Jesus' birth, the angels showed up to them and announced it to them, to these poor shepherds. Very, very common folk. I think about Simeon. He wasn't anything dazzling other than the, the fact that Simeon was led of the Holy Spirit of God. And he had prayed a simple prayer, God, don't let me die until I see Jesus. Isn't that a great prayer? And God answered that prayer. God allowed him to see on that day to be at the temple and to see the baby Jesus and to hold him in his arms. And I think about this lady, Anna, who had an immense amount of pain, who went through life in a, a pretty lonely existence other than she was surrounded by many people coming to and fro from the, the temple. But this lady, Anna, really indeed was a lonely individual. And I find that in her life, Jesus Christ was her hope, that Jesus was her expectation. She was waiting for him. And when he came and when she saw him, it rejoiced her heart. It, it, it fulfilled her her deepest longing. And I want us to see this morning that Jesus is indeed hope, not just uh, in a dark world like we learned last week, but Jesus is indeed hope to the lonely who have suffered loss. Now, I am aware that I speak to people this morning who have suffered loss, even in the past year. And that's a reality. That's a reality you can identify with an Anna so very closely. And I want you to pay a special attention to the life of Anna and and notice all the struggle that she went through. And notice what gave her hope. 
Notice what brought her through. Notice what got her to the other side. Notice what got her to, to heaven's shores, if you will. Notice what got her through her life. And I want you to also think about your neighbors and your coworkers and others who might be like an Anna who is lonely and have suffered loss even in this year and how you can bring this same message to them. So let's dive into the life of Anna. Notice, first of all, Anna, Anna had, it was a portrait of a lady who faced compounded pain compounded pain. You know what I mean by compounded? Layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. How many of you can finish this with me? When it rains, it... All right. So we know what it's like when we're going through a trial and then it just seems like it just compounds. All right. I don't want to take the next phone call because it might bring some more bad news. Has anyone ever been there? Right. I don't want to read the news. I don't want to... I, I just want to isolate because I don't want to hear any more bad news. And so we... Ha- kind of all sense or understand what it is to have compounded pain. Uh, a lot of times it seems like that's how trials are. They compound. Uh, and, and it seems like we get beaten down a little bit more and a little bit more. Look at verse number 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tri of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a, help me, A, all right, all together, she was a, all right. So there's several things I want us to grab a hold of here as we look at her life and notice the compounded pain in her life. I want us to notice that the Bible tells us she was a prophetess. She was respected even, as we can understand, from a a younger age as a woman who declared God's truth. She knew God's truth and she declared it. She understood God's truth and she declared it. She obviously was a student of the Old Testament, knew about the coming Messiah, knew the promises, and she was ready to declare that even in that day at the temple. She is the only woman in the New Testament that is declared to be a prophetess. She stands with many ladies or several ladies in the Old Testament that were declared to be prophetesses. And those are Miriam, Moses' sister, Deborah, one of the judges. Do you remember her story, Deborah? Uh, when when uh, Barak wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't stand and, 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 and wouldn't, wouldn't go into battle, God allowed Deborah to lead the, uh, lead the way. Huldah, you're probably not as familiar with her, and, and Nehemiah, uh, she was declared to be a prophetess. Isaiah um, knew a prophetess in, in the book of Isaiah, though it doesn't seem that her name is given. And so we have these different prophetesses, but this isn't something to get spooked about. She simply was a person, a prophet is a forth teller, a declarer of truth. And in the Old Testament, they took truth from God and delivered it to people. Today, the gift of the prophet, as we see in the book of Ephesians, as we see in the book of Romans, the gift of the prophet is someone who takes God's truth, knows God's truth, and declares it boldly to others. And uh, do you know, I, I can know uh, some, some men with the gift of, uh, of the prophet, the, the gift of prophecy. I know some women with the gift of prophecy. They, they understand God's word, and in a moment, they're able to take God's word and really encourage someone or strengthen someone with a, a word from the word. And uh, listen, 
uh, we can look up to this Anna for who she was. She was a spiritual lady. She was a godly woman. We also know, uh, notice here that she lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. She was a woman who valued purity or valued God's way, kept God's, God's law. That doesn't mean that those who have not uh, are, are, are pushed aside by God. No, we have a God full of grace, do we not? Amen? We have a God full of grace. But it says something about Anna here. Anna was a woman that valued God and walked in purity and loved following after God. But following God does not mean freedom from pain. How many of you have realized that? Following God does not mean that we're going to live life without any pain or any problems. It even says in Psalm 23, it says, Yea, though I walk. Talking to those who have the Lord as their shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Help me, for thou art for thou art with me. So Anna knew what pain was. I want us to notice, and probably as we read it, we didn't really grab a hold of this, but Anna knew the pain of broken heritage. Now, to us, you know, family trees are they're, they're interesting and Perhaps uh, you're a real great student of that. Does anyone really study ancestry? A little bit? Okay, some? Okay, but if you were an Israelite, ancestry was a really, really big deal. Knowing what tribe you're from was a big, big deal. Anna was a part of the tribe of Asher. It's said here, Asher, or Asher in the Old Testament. One of the northern tribes that was kind of lost its path or lost its lineage in the exile. So when God brought them into captivity, they lost track of, of their records. And for Anna to know this was, is kind of a unique thing in her day. Uh, though, though Israel as a whole had lost track of the tribe of Asher, God had not lost track of who Anna was and whose tribe she belonged to. God had not lost track of that. And she evidently uh, knew that, but there was, a, there was a sense of broken heritage. I, I, I'm kind of been displaced. My, my tribe isn't together anymore. And there's, there's some broken heritage, uh, heritage when it comes to that. And we all understand what it means to be displaced, to feel out of, out of order, to feel like we don't belong anymore. And Anna faced that as an Israelite where lineage was very, very important. She had the pain of great age. Great age. We like to call it mature around here, but uh, here in the Bible it says great age. Now, does, does great age bring along aches and pain? Right? There, there are parts on our bodies that, that begin to ache. We didn't even know we're there. Right? And there's problems. And it's like sometimes when it rains, it pours. It's like I just want to be well, healthy, and have strength. But Anna was an older woman at this point, and there's a little bit of debate about how old she was. It says that she lived seven years as a married woman from her virginity, and then it says she was a widow of um, four score and uh, four years, 84 years. Some believe that that was her total age. Others believe that she was a widow for 84 years, making her somewhere around the age of 100 and 105 or so. And the fact of the matter is if she got married in her teenage years. And so the fact of the matter is, regardless of how old she specifically was, she was a woman, according to the Bible here, of great 
age. Certainly, great age brings its pains. Ecclesiastes talks about the, the kind of the downward, if you've not read this before, uh, the downward spiral of old age, and even where the grasshopper, something very small, becomes a burden, the daughters of music uh, become low, the loss of hearing, and it walks all the way through kind of the deterioration of our bodies through great, uh, great age, right? It's a season of life we all end up going through if the Lord allows but it can be a difficult season of life, the pain of great age. The pain of loss of love. We read that she lost her husband after only seven years. Now think about that. Seven years. The love of her life. Seven anniversaries. Seven birthdays together. Seven Passovers or times together worshiping the Lord. Just seven. So very, very quickly, that is, is hardly enough time to really get rooted into a, a solid marriage going forward. And, and yet she lost her husband after only seven years, the, the loss of great love. Notice the pain of a barren womb from the time that she became a, a, a widow. The Bible says she spent night and day in the, in the temple. She also was not claimed in remarriage, which would have been allowed in that time. She would have been allowed to remarry, especially probably that she, she became a widow at the age of 23. Yet it seems that no one would have wanted her because she had already a reputation of, of not being able to bear children. Bearing children was a, a great honor uh, those women in Israel that bore children were called blessed, sometimes along with those that did not. There was, there was a feeling of, uh, of a curse, or they were kind of set aside. So bearing children was a very important thing to an Israelite woman, and yet she did not have. And so in the life of a Hebrew woman, a happiness really depended on whether or not you were able to bear children. The Bible talks about in Psalm chapter number uh, 127 that the womb is his great reward. The gift of children is a blessed thing, a blessed thing. Blessed is the man that hath his quiver full of them. And so the pain of a barren womb. Proverbs talks about in Proverbs 30 and verse number 15 that there are four things that are never satisfied, never satisfied. And it says this in Proverbs 30 and 16. It says the grave, the grave is never satisfied. It's constantly devouring lives, right? We, we sense that. It's constantly devouring lives. Some of you have experienced that pain this, this, this year. But in the next thing it says, and the barren womb, the barren womb is never satisfied. Friends, here is a lady who knew what it was not just to lose a, a husband, but also to, to not have a child that, that could care for her and, and going forward. You also have the pain of a lonely existence. Yeah, we already touched on this with losing her husband, but she didn't belong to anybody, and no one belonged to her. She was an island, and though she had great connections throughout the city of, of Jerusalem, there was a loneliness. Who does she go home to at night? She stays at the temple. Who does she, uh, who does she find companionship with? No, she didn't have a strong man to lean upon anymore to care for her, the pain of a lonely existence, and Lastly, the pain of poverty. Widows in Israel and in Hebrew history faced great poverty because they didn't have a man to provide for their needs. Uh, that's why the Bible tells the church in the New Testament age to care for the fatherless and the widows. If they don't have family, if they're not of marriageable age again, the church has a responsibility towards those, towards those widows. And that's why widows should always feel free to ask the church and say, hey, whatever you need. 
I have this need. I have this practical need. I have this spiritual need. Whatever it is, there should always be a, there should be always be a, a heart on our part as God's people to say we want to help and we want to be accessible to you. And so she, she knew the pain of poverty. She lived in poverty. Now the world tells us when you experience this type of compounded pain, you really need to just step back and just focus on yourself. And there is a need to make sure that you're doing well. The world also tells us that you should see yourself as a victim. When you face this type of pain, feel, feel like you've been victimized in, in, in the midst of this and, and live the rest of your life in that, in that way. But I want us to know that, that Anna did not view herself as a victim, that, that really she had to go through life bemoaning her pain that we can see even in these three verses of Scripture, Anna set herself on a different path. She put a different hope in her heart. And Anna continued to go forward. And though Anna had this compounded pain, we see that the pattern of her life was toward God. And specifically, it was toward God in consecrated service. What do I mean by consecrated? Set apart. Devoted. Anna set herself apart to serve God. It says there in verse number 37, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. That was Anna. Anna continued to focus on the Lord. Could she have gotten distracted by her loss? Yes. I'm 23 and I'm a widow. Think about that. Think about that. What pain there was. I don't have enough to, to get me by. I have to depend on, on others, uh, others' charity and mercy and so on. You think about the pain that she struggled with. And there she was, not departing from the temple. The, the Holy Spirit doesn't use words on accident. Not departing from the temple. She devoted herself to service to the Lord. And you say, well, what great things did she do? What great things did she do? She stayed at the temple. She was there and available, but I want us to think about this temple for a moment and, uh, and, and wrap our minds around it. The temple was a center of life in Jerusalem. Think about this. We've seen a little bit of this in our study through the book of Acts, but there's a temple complex. There's Jerusalem with the walls about it during, during, uh, during and after Christ's time, and so we have the temple complex. Give us the next picture, if you will. And let's see the, the temple as we come up the southern entrance into the temple. It was a place of constant activity. In fact, when Jesus walked out of the temple and he said, hey, uh, disciples, uh, in three days, uh, this is all going to be torn down. Uh, but after three days, uh, this is going to be uh, built again. He was referring to his own temple. And they thought, wait a minute, don't you see all these great stones? This is an amazing edifice. They're walking right under that archway there, uh, under the, the steps on that, on that side, of the, uh, side of the temple. And so it was a place of activity. Let's see the next, the next slide. And notice inside the temple, we have the Fortress Antonio that we're well aware of from the, the study in Acts. We had the Court of the Gentiles, where Gentiles were allowed to be. If they went into the, through the front gate of the temple proper, uh, their death was on them. Basically, the sign at the door was, uh, you come in here, we kill you, and your blood's on you. 
I mean, that was basically, uh, basically the wording. It was, it was very, very strict that way. But right inside the front doors there, you see the, the, t- um, the, temple, prop, um, the temple proper, the square in the center there. Right inside the front door was the, the women's courtyard. Likely, Anna was hanging around in the women's courtyard, perhaps, perhaps out, but um, they were bringing Jesus to present him to the Lord uh, and to offer sacrifices, so they would have been in the temple proper, and Anna likely would have been hanging out in that, in that area in the women's courtyard. And so it was a place of activity. It was a place of life in Jerusalem. That's where worship happened. That's where sacrifices were, were made. That's where learning happened around, around the temple complex, learning and the school of, of, of Gamaliel and, and so on, uh, even school for children. There were celebrations that happened there, and sometimes even during the night, celebrations were going on there. The families were gathering there. Just imagine, just like Mary and Joseph came at this time, imagine others who had children. If, if children was a blessed state, having children was a blessed state, imagine this scene happening frequently as parents brought their children up to the temple to present them to the Lord, and offer, offer a sacrifice to the Lord, and imagine Anna watching this uh, happening, other families coming in and out, uh, and in that place, but it was a place of activity. It was a place where children were dedicated. It was a place of families and celebrations, etc. There was so much that was going on there. And what I want us to really realize about that is this: Anna, as she spent her time at the temple, would have had many opportunities for her pain to be triggered. Now we hear that terminology in this in this day. Oftentimes, that's a trigger for me. That's a trigger for me, okay? We hear that a lot. And sometimes you say, that person got triggered. All right, are you, you, you know what I'm talking about? And sometimes we can allow something in the past that we've experienced, some pain in the past, and allow ourselves to think like a victim. We can't get through this. We'll never get beyond this. We're not, we're not going to be anything for the Lord. Or we, we'll never find healing. We, we allow ourselves to think about about that as a, as a victim or become victimized by what we have experienced and allow things in our lives, the joy of others or the blessings that others have to trigger, trigger our compounded pain. What us want us to realize is that Anna focused not on what could trigger her. Not saying we don't have to process through that. Don't get me wrong on that. We do have to process through, and the Lord is a healer. The Bible says that Jesus came with healing in his wings. Does Jesus care about the pain you feel? Yes. Even at the cross when he was dying, he goes, John, behold thy mother. Why don't you take care of my mom? He cares about the pain. Did he weep at the graveside of Lazarus? Yes. Yes, he did. Did he notice the pain of the woman at the well? Yes, he did, and he cared for her, and he, he, he helped her to come to, to a place of, of having, uh, having true life and water inside of her. Yes, he, he sees the pain. He invites us all, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. You'll find a place of healing and wholeness in me. So Anna did not allow the compounded pain to constantly trigger her as she watched all the life that was going on about her. No, she focused on serving God. She consecrated herself. She stayed there. She set herself in the place where God was working, and she served him. But notice how simply she served him. Because sometimes we think about serving God. Well, i got to do something really big in order to serve God. No, look at verse 37 with me. 
How did she serve God? With, help me, fastings and prayer. Let's say it again. With fastings and prayer. Oh. Is that all? Now think about this. Now we make the Christian life so complex. Let me say, I'm, I'm getting of a great age. I've become very, very mature. You're never too old to serve God with fasting and prayer. I can't sleep at night. Well, serve God with fasting and prayer. Now, you may physically not be able to do, do a complete fast. God doesn't tell us what every fast needs to look like. You can fast from sweets. You can fast from something. But it's a setting aside of something. Let's think about this, this matter of fasting. Fasting here for Anna was not for a physical appearance. Fasting here was a religious thing. We're hearing a lot about fasting these days. How many of you have heard about intermittent fasting? Much of fasting in the world today is all about so I can, I can change my physical appearance. Not saying that we shouldn't take care of our bodies. We should. We should. They're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Especially as, as believers, we need to take care of what God has given us. Steward it well. But we're not talking about fasting for physical appearance. We're talking about fasting so that we can devote ourselves to God. And here's Anna who was fasting night and day. And some of her fasting may have been brought on by the fact that she just didn't have enough money to provide for herself. But the Bible says she served God in that moment. She took what even might have been caused by physical struggle and made it a way for her to serve God. Fasting is a sign of desperation before God. Fasting is my need for God and for God to work in my life and in the lives of others becomes such a great burden that I set aside food in order to talk to God. Fasting is not always a choice first to fast. Sometimes the burden becomes so great, my desperation for God becomes so great that I lose my appetite for food and I spend time in prayer. Andrew Murray, a man who wrote much on prayer, he said this, prayer is reaching out after the unseen. Fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Fasting helps express, deepen, confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. It's I'm setting aside the temporal. I'm setting aside what I see for the unseen. I, I want God more than anything, and so I'm willing to set it aside. This was Anna. This was Anna. And God, these 2,000 years later, wants us to know about this Anna who set aside food for God. She served God night and day in this way. But did you notice that she also served God in prayer? Earnest, urgent Request to God. Intercession, supplication, crying out to God. God, I need you. God, that family needs you. God, this child needs you. I don't know all of her prayers. The Holy Spirit doesn't give it to us, but she spent 84 years there in the temple, night and day, and giving herself in that way. Obviously, she had to eat at some point. 
But the Bible says that it became a reality of her life, it became a characteristic of her life, that she served God with fasting and also with prayer. 1 Peter 3 and verse number 12, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Aren't you thankful this morning that ladies like Anna, God's listening to? And ladies in our church, maybe you're going, you can identify with Anna, God's listening to you. And men in our church, God's listening to you. You can identify with her. You're lonely. You've suffered some loss. There's other people that, that God says, I, my ears are open to the prayers of the righteous. Praise the Lord for that. Oswald Chambers, another man who wrote much on prayer. Prayer is the answer to every problem that there is. There's no amen there. And sometimes we don't believe it like we ought to. And how's that proven so many times we don't, we don't go to God first? Are you with me? Does that convict your heart like it convicts mine? Prayer is the answer to every problem there is. Ian Bounds Another man that wrote much on prayer and, and, and all these men that I'm quoting had great testimonies of their prayer life. Prayer succeeds when all else fails. How often do we prove that? So many times we get ourselves into situations where it's like, tried several things and then, then we pray. The Bible says that Anna served God with prayer and fasting night and day. She devoted herself continually to it. R.A. Torrey, the one who took over for D.L. Moody of the Moody Bible Institute, he said, all that God is and all that God has are at the disposal of prayer. Prayer can do anything that God can do. And as God can do anything, prayer is omnipotent. It's all-powerful. Oh, that we had give ourselves to prayer like an Anna. Men and women, let's give ourselves to prayer. Child, teenager, young adult, oh, that we give ourselves to prayer tonight as we gather together. We'll end our service tonight in a season of prayer. This is a time where we as a church ought to gather together. We ought to bind our hearts together and believe that prayer is certainly powerful. And believe that no matter what we are facing, no matter what we have um, seen in the past, that the future, the way through the future, the way through the wilderness, the way through difficulty is through prayer. And I hope that you'd believe that with me. R.A. Torrey again says, when the devil sees a man or woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray and who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, he trembles as much as he ever did, for he knows that his day in that church or that community is come to an end. I'm calling you to prayer. Let's let, let's let Anna be an example for us as a church family together to say, you know what, I don't understand all that God's doing, but we'll pray. We'll pray. Come back tonight. We'll spend more time about that together. No matter the pain, no matter the loss, no matter the loneliness, no matter your age, you can be set apart. You can be consecrated to God and serve him and serve him from your heart in prayer and fasting. You say, there's, there's so much pain. Yes, it's real. 
it's real. But prayer is the answer to every problem we face. It's the answer to every pain you're going through. Prayer. Know how we need to pray together. Oh, that this would be a house of, of prayer. Oh, that the phone lines would be places of, of prayer. May the Lord help us. So Anna knew compounded pain. Rather than being triggered by that, she threw herself into consecrated service to God. But I want you to notice in verse number 38, the power of confident expectation, the power of hope, the power of hope. Here we see a woman that is full of life in, in verse number 38, and she coming in that instance. Now, I don't know if she was walking with a cane. I don't know if she had a, a, a walker of types or if she could just walk and, and was really spry. But the Bible says she came in that instant, and I get this little idea that there was a, 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 a little bit of a, a leap in her step, a, a little bit of a, 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 at least in her heart. She, she came, and at that very moment, she was there in that scene giving thanks to God. We don't see a woman that's burdened down by the compounded pain. We see a woman that is full of life and rejoicing in what God has done. Jesus was Anna's hope, and that's why she was full of life. Jesus was Anna's hope. Her hope was not in her release from pain. So oftentimes we get focused, if I could just get through this pain, if I could just get beyond this, if, if this trial would just end, then I could have hope. Nope, not Anna. Jesus himself, the very sight of the baby Jesus, filled her heart with joy and thanksgiving. It's almost as if her heart erupted in thanksgiving. It erupted in praise. And notice what it says there. She gave thanks to profess openly to profess praise openly. She's declaring it. Thank you, Lord. And I, I really wish, and maybe we get to ask her when we get to heaven what exactly she said in that moment. But the Holy Spirit just tells us she gave thanks. She gave thanks. Something that we can all identify with. Not something that's impossible for any one of us to do. And the idea of this word is that she gave it repeatedly and she kept on giving thanks. She kept on giving thanks over and over and over. Out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaketh. We talk about what's important to us. And here's Anna giving thanks to God. Yes, thank you, Lord, for sending your gift. Jesus was Anna's hope. Because Jesus was Anna's hope, she spoke about Jesus to others. She spoke of Jesus to others. Have you ever watched a child open up a Christmas present? or a birthday present, and they get it all unwrapped. And they look at it, and they're like, oh, I was hoping. Have any of you suffered that misfortune? Right? Oh, I was hoping. And, they, and the parent inside of us says, now you need to be thankful for this, right? And then help them through this, this moment. Oh, I was hoping. You know what? Anna did not on that day look at the baby Jesus and like, oh, I was hoping. For something different. No, it was, ah, the Lord has finally come. The Lord has finally given us his promise. He's finally fulfilled it. My hope is in him. My hope has been given what I was looking forward to. It is finally here. And that's who I've been waiting for. That's who I've been hoping for. That's who I've been confidently expecting. Ah, he's here, is the, is the heart of Anna in this moment. And we see that she begins to announce this throughout Jerusalem, whether she went down that southern entrance or out the other uh, entrances into the temple complex. It seemed that she found herself going around Jerusalem saying, I saw 
him. I saw him. The Messiah is here. You that were waiting and hoping and confidently expecting the coming of the Messiah, he's here in our lifetime. It says that she spake him to all those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. Looked. Those that hoped for it. Those that were confidently expecting it. She spake to them. She spake to them. I want us to think about this. She spake of to him uh, to them that looked for that redemption for the salvation for the salvation that would come through the messiah i'm certain that others heard this and that as time went on they spake beyond that but she uh, first went to those that were hoping for the coming of the messiah that were confidently expecting the coming of the messiah and they were ready to receive that news they received that news and they shared it with one another friends notice that anna did not keep her company with those that were constantly down in the mouth. Those that were constantly being triggered by their their past pain. She kept company with those that were confidently expecting that Jesus was going to come. That the Messiah would indeed come as God had promised. Friends, I'm not not against support groups and any any of the sort, so don't, don't misconstrue what I'm about to say, please. But oftentimes, support groups bring us around our common pain. And there's some help in walking through with others in our, in our, our common pain. How did you get through? But ultimately, our connections need to be around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where true healing comes from. You can get in a, in a group where they're constantly sharing what brings them pain or what bothers them, and you're going to find that, that that group is going to struggle. They're not going to grow. They're not going to edify one another many times. But we get around a group that says, I'm looking for Jesus, and I want to be all about him, and I'm confidently expecting his, his coming in the rapture. I'm, I'm looking forward to that day. That's a group of people you can grow in. That's a group of people that you can be edified by, and that's this Anna. She knew this group in Jerusalem. She's running around. Listen, our hope has finally come here. We are so grateful. He has come. Praise be to the Lamb. Praise be to the Messiah. God has answered our prayer. Who do you hang out with? Who, what is it that has you in common with those folks? Listen, make sure what you hang out with is those that have hope in Jesus Christ. That's not all about the negative. It's about what Jesus is doing and going forward. And Jesus says to us, I press toward the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. Jesus is constantly leading us forward. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, leading us forward and together and upward and onward in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else in the world could give Anna hope like Jesus. Nothing. She had too much pain back there. And the reality is every single one of you, myself included, have pain in our lives. And there's times we experience the loneliness, and some of you know loneliness far greater than any one of us could imagine. And we sympathize with you. Well, we can't fully understand all that you're going through. I want you to know the Holy Spirit on this day has a passage of scripture in here about a widow, someone who lost the love of their life, says this is what she did and found hope. Found hope. Aren't you thankful for that? I mean, this is just right down where we, where we live. And friends, there's more than 
just folks right here in this, this room. There's people, your neighbors, coworkers, people that you're acquainted with that need this message, need to know it's Jesus. Jesus is our hope. We're not just saying that tritely. This gave, this hope, the confident expectation of Christ coming as the Messiah gave her hope all the years of her life. That's pretty amazing. That's a powerful hope. And that's a powerful hope that we can have. And we look forward to the day, we already know he came to save us from our sins, but we look forward to the day that he comes to rescue us and take us home. Man, what a day that is going to be. This verse has meant something to me this week. My soul, wait thou only upon God. Wait, there's a word for hope. Have confident expectation in him. Psalm 62, 5. My soul, wait thou only on God. Don't set your hope in people. Don't set your hope in programs. Don't set your hope in a paycheck. Wait thou only on God. Wait thou on God. Hope in him. And here's what the next part of the verse says. The psalmist saying, for my expectation, my hope, my confident expectation is from him. My hope, all my hope is from him. Anna believed that and lived that way. And we can too. Anna provides such a wonderful example for all of us. No matter whether we can fully identify with her or not. Wonderful example for all of us. And she's a wonderful person, an illustration to share with others this week. May the Lord help us to see Jesus as our hope, even for the lonely that have suffered great loss. He is hope. He is hope. I want to encourage you in a couple of ways. Maybe some questions that we can pray on here in a moment. Your pain is real. Sometimes it's hard to even communicate pain to other, other people because they, they don't feel it. Right? Pain is very unique and it's very real. It's very to you. But Jesus indeed is hope to your pain. And as Anna, I want to ask you to do this. Will you consecrate yourself, set yourself aside to serve God even in the simple ways of prayer and fasting? Don't allow yourself to get focused on the pain. Focus on him. Will you consecrate yourself like that? Will you praise God with your voice? For indeed, Jesus Christ has already come and is coming again. Will you vocally give thanks so that others can hear? Even within this assembly, will you speak to others in your spheres of influence and let them know that Jesus has come, their hope has come? Perhaps you would set a goal this week. I want to talk to three people specifically that I don't know or that are on my heart. Perhaps they're, they're, they're folks that are you know, the Lord's burdening me on towards a neighbor, a co-worker, etc. Perhaps set a goal. I'm going to talk to them. And I'm going to bring the hope that Jesus is to them. And would the Lord help us with these things? And would you bow with me in prayer this morning? I want you to think about those questions. Will you consecrate yourself? afresh to serving God like Anna? Will you praise him with your voice? For indeed, Christ has come. Will you speak of others like she did, of Christ's coming, and the hope that he is this week? Perhaps 
committing even in your heart to set a goal, the people that you'd like to reach out to, maybe you pray specifically about them. I'm going to give us a chance in a moment to kneel here at the altar, there at your seat, and to pray and seek the Lord. Father, thank you for Anna. Thank you for the testimony that she is all these many years later. Thank you for the illustration that she is and the help and the encouragement that even through loneliness and suffering loss, you are indeed hope. And we give you praise for that. Lord, help us to just take these moments, commit things to you, to grow in you, to take steps forward, not backward, forward. I pray that you be praised and blessed in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.